Hey everyone, it's Arnold Bion with Warm Welcome. Uh, welcome to another week. And today we have a pretty special episode. And I think last week I had told you that I had just gotten back from Korea. Um, and, then, and now that I'm in New York and, I, and that I would dedicate an off menu episode to maybe my experience in Korea. But I actually had a chance to interview a really special person, a really special operator when I was in Korea. Um, and his name is Linus and Linus Kim and he is the chef owner operator of Linus barbecue and so he has two locations uh, there's one the flagship in Itaewon and he has another location in uh, Hebangchon which is a uh, very close by very, it's more or less a, it's the same region I guess you could say but um, it was a very important conversation and, and, and I wanted to share this episode with you. It's a little different from what I have been doing. So to give you some context, uh, we actually did this over video and Linus had brought some food with him uh, from his restaurant. So like, you know, ribs and beef brisket and fried mac balls and fried pickles um, that were just really amazing. And so uh, we were eating and also we had some uh, soju and beer as well at the same time. So we were eating and drinking while talking, which uh, is, is quite revolutionary, you know, in, in, in this podcast. Uh, all 27 episodes up until now have been done dry and sober, <laughs> um, but it was it was fun. And I think with this episode and the future episodes, it's going to be a little different. I want to kind of change up the pacing and the, the format a little bit. So as I continue to experiment, I hope you can be patient with me. And I'm hoping that it will get to a place that you'll hopefully enjoy more than the way it has been. Um, so I had a really great conversation with Linus. And one of the things I really wanted to talk about and for him to share was the fact that he operates in Itaewon. If you've heard of Itaewon, maybe it's from the Netflix show Itaewon Class, but Itaewon is a very foreign-friendly neighborhood, right? So a lot of foreigners in Seoul, they usually, usually live or own a business or um, hang out in Itaewon. There's a great nightlife there. And one of the few really neighborhoods and places in Korea, honestly, that is uh, fairly progressive in many ways, right? So there's a lot of gay bars and, and there's a pretty big LGBTQ community there. And it's just like a very forward thinking area. Um, however, and, and Korea has been doing a really good job in general in containing COVID and, and whatnot. And I'm sure you've all seen the news and I've been there personally and I can attest to that, but there was a second wave that happened in this area. And we'll again, deep dive a little bit deeper into this and how it happened and how it's affecting business for him, but also the community at large. Um, and I realize that this isn't in, in, in New York, like I typically talk about and showcase, but it, it's just a story I really wanted to share because in a lot of ways, Korea has already gone through the second wave. And I think that New York is about to get through it as well. And uh, I think there's a lot we can learn from this experience that Korea has had, but also, uh, you know, Linus, Linus is just a great storyteller. So in any case, um, thanks again for tuning in and um, I'm, I'm really happy to share with you my conversation that I had with uh, Linus in Seoul, Korea. What was it like growing up there? Because I have, I gotta be honest with you, I've had 
30 uh, uh-huh. Asian American chefs. Uh-huh. And uh, you were probably the first person that has. Oh. Was it born or, or you were born there as well, right? I was I was actually not born. I was born in L.A., oh. but like I would say about within six months after I was born, you went. To my, my my parents moved, so I consider myself a native. Yeah, of, yeah. Of so Birmingham. so what was it like? Cause were there a lot of um, Asians there? At, there at weren't. There weren't. It was very rare to be able to see uh, another Asian outside my family growing up, and. Um, uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, you kind of that that kind of affects you growing up, I'm you know, sure. identity wise and I'm whatnot. Sure. And uh, you know, uh, go all into that and everything. But I don't know. I'm I'm really, you know, this is something I, I say a lot. Is um, um, yeah, it may not have been the most fun place to have grown up, but I'm it's a good place to be from. Gotcha. Yeah, that's a good yeah. that's a good way to put yeah. it. Your experiences just kind of make you what you what you are. So growing up in Alabama, hmm. um, also. The other thing, Linus, the name Linus. I've oh. never came across a Linus before. Kim, of course, everyone's a Kim, right? I'll be or honest, I've, I've never come across another Linus. I've, I've heard of them. I might have. What's the story? Like, did you pick that name? Like, what, what is this? Was no. Story? What's the significance? There? Um, okay, so. Aren't you an Alex or an Andrew? Or, yeah, uh, my, or, or, or like Danny a biblical or, name with Dan, yeah, yeah, yeah. John or Mark, right? Yeah. Um, my parents are actually diehard Catholics. They, they come up really devout Catholic family. And I think at the time, uh, my dad told me that he left it up to like a, an American priest mm. to come up with a, a good name. Yeah. And I think this guy just had a sense of humor. And, and, I, and that's, that's what it was, because it was miserable having this name when I was I was going to say. I'm it was, gonna... yeah, it was where's your blanket, <laughs> as if it was the first time I'd hear that. And that was, <laughs> you know. Oh, man. Um, mm. But, you know, growing up, okay, so you have, you have this name, right, Linus. I've never come across before. Uh, you're Asian in mm. Alabama. I'm sure. I'm sure you encounter some sort of racism as well, right? Oh, growing up, yeah. You know, I. Uh, I mean, how was that like dealing with that as a kid? I'm sure that's also kind of impacted mm. you as a person now and how you interact with other people. Right? <clears throat> I think it made me more. You know, I didn't. It. Yeah, I've encountered some racism quite a bit. I've also witnessed it. You know. Yeah. It, it's weird being. Uh, I don't know what you call it, a minority among minorities where like I wouldn't even come across another Asian. I'd hear white people talking about black people or black people talking about white people. Like as I, I was just easily like a fly in the wall. Like a done factory. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It was really interesting to kind of, kind of see that dynamic. Right. Right. And then, um, um, but yeah, I, I've, uh, I think when I was in high school, I, I became a lot more, I started to become a little bit more interested in activism, whatnot, and you know, I came from an era where I'm a lot older than people think, but I come from an era where there was still like KKK, and they would That's op- crazy. They would still be openly out there. I'll tell you a really funny story. Um, my mother, um, we were in the car. I remember being in the backseat of the car. I can't remember how old I was. I must have been under ten, definitely under ten, and. Um, we pulled up to a light, and she was on the way to work. And there was a guy with a big uh, hood on, white sheets, and you know everything Shit. at the median. And it's like he had—he was collecting donations uh, as if it were for the Red Cross, you know. And so he would just go from window to window. And my mother, not knowing what that was about, she rolled down the window, window, and get <laughs> window, and. Uh, you know, offered a donation, not knowing the context. Oh, right, right, and they 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 accepted it. You know, in the, yeah, in the yeah. pale, right? 
Because what she saw was uh, guys in, in white robes with red crosses on their, you know. Oh. And so she thought it was a Christian organization. And then uh, later on, but she just didn't know what, you know. And so we got to work, and there was this woman that used to work for my mom named Bonita. She's like, um, what? I saw these guys. And, you know, described that. And yeah. she was like, Mrs. Kim, you shouldn't be giving money to those people, <laughs> you know. And she was like, "What? Well, why not? They have and, a cross." And, and it took, a, yeah, and it took a while for her to get it. She's like, "What? But I don't understand." And what, they, there's people like this. Well, why did they take money from me? And what of course, they? of course, it was just like you know, she was confused. And then, but now she tells that story sometimes, mm. and and laughs about it. How she, how she just didn't, you know, didn't know, you know. Wow. But you know, that was a much, much more when I was younger. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It, it wasn't an uncommon thing to see. So. But I, you, that just make, paints the pic, like a really bad picture of Birmingham. But I'm also like, like I said, a lot older than people might think. We don't have to reveal that information. <laughs> Asians don't reason. <laughs> I mean, was it so for for you because you guys were, um, you know, like one of the few probably Asian people in your in your community. Mm-hmm. I'm sure. I'm sure there weren't any Asian restaurants. I'm sure it was more like kind of a barbecue. Uh, situation. If you if you if you guys dine out, did you guys dine out? Like, what was it like? The eating situation. Were you guys cooking at home? There really weren't many other Asian restaurants other than Chinese food. Chinese food was ubiquitous. I remember when the first Japanese restaurant came to town. It wasn't even sushi. I mean, yeah, they'd probably think it was bait, but like, <laughs> it was like uh, kind of like teppanyaki. Oh, you know, kind of like Benihana. Benihana but, situation. Yeah, but we didn't have Benihana, and so um, I remember when that came to town. Um, I don't know. Uh, th- there was like one. It's very different now, but when I was younger, there was like one Asian or two Asian markets, and they uh, they kind of served all the Asians. Everything. Everything, yeah. Pan-Asian. Yeah, pan-Asian. Right? So so you probably ate at home a lot more then. than- Yeah, oh, of course. Yeah, your mom cooked mm. a lot. But my mom went out. I, I, I wasn't, I was a very picky eater too. I mean, the reason why barbecue is a big part of my life is because my mother uh, uh, expressed to me that when I was younger, I was I just didn't like eating rice and you really? know and pancha. yeah I just didn't like it and because um, it was just too advanced for me like the the stews I wasn't a big fan of like all the chickas and so stew. what was your like go to what was what what did you crave I the- think uh, eventually she started to kind of incorporate you know more Western stuff like like a steak and we you know share it for dinner or things like this but there was uh, uh, there was like a, a fundraiser mm-hmm. kids going door to door. And um, they were selling like barbecue lunch boxes, and so she ordered some, and and uh, she said she witnessed me like licking the plate clean. I ate every, it was like the, one of the first times she'd seen me like eat everything, and and literally licking the cl- plate clean. And so she was just like, "Oh, that's that's interesting." And so, and I, I mean, who doesn't like barbecue, right? So it was a very popular thing, and clearly my first favorite food. And so, um, yeah, it was like. Something that we would frequently go when we could, you mm. know, when we went out to eat. There'd be a, there's always a barbecue restaurant around. Oh. I mean, Alabama has more per capita than, you know, I heard or I read for, you know, than many other cities. Yeah. yeah. So so fast forward, right? Mm-hmm. I'm sure you didn't go up, grow up to be like, oh, I'm going to run a barbecue restaurant in Taiwan one day. I'm sure that was, a, um, you know, a byproduct of, of, of a lot of things. Mm-hmm. So initially, like... What was your passion? What were you doing before you got into this? 
Oh God, I did everything. You did a lot. Song. Yeah, I know you did a lot. So <laughs> maybe I'll let you choose which what you want to highlight. Oh boy, yeah. I'm not sure they're worth. Um, but Just, we'll quickly gloss over. I would say like okay, um, I lived in a few other cities. I lived in like New York and L.A. and I would say the last place I lived before Korea was in L.A. and I and I worked uh, kind of I'm very distantly in the entertainment business and mm-hmm. that was just uh, uh, really it was just kind of um, doing like quality assurance work you know for films and that kind of stuff um, and uh, I don't know that that made it's one of those jobs that would only exist in L.A. LA. you know what I mean because it's kind of a catch all for that right right yeah. um, but that you know that was. Uh, I had intended to only do that type of work while I was going to study <laughs> acupuncture and and uh, you know and, and Chinese medicine, herbal herbal medicine. But it was just a funny time because uh, um, I don't know, like uh, just healthcare uh-huh. and, and and like uh, uh, health insurance laws in in, uh, in the states just weren't conducive for doing that type of that type of work. And so there was always programs that were telling you to, hey, become a chiropractor and then piggyback like acupuncture and everything on top. Yeah. It just didn't feel right to me. And so I was at a, at a crossroads. And, uh, but uh, I was always like cooking barbecue. Um, I was in LA, I had a uh, kind of a terrace I could work on. And, you know, just when I was, uh, had nothing else to do, I, I was just, it became a hobby, then it became a, a compulsion and then it became an obsession. And, um, you know, I remember when I first made it. God, it was awful. I didn't even have a thermometer. You know, it so was how, just. How were you doing this? I, I don't know. I was just kind of winging it. Like I had uh, this piece of shit smoker. It was actually electric, and and, and uh, you know, you just plugged it in because you know I just wanted to you know. Do a quick make, plug and play. Yeah. Yeah. And then uh, you know, played with pulled pork because pulled pork is you know what I love, and that's what we do in Alabama. And um, I don't know. It's just kind of like, how can I make it better? Mm. And then, and then you start to read and, and whatnot, and then you got thermometer, and then, you know, it, it was a. Uh, it kind of started from there, and um, um, then come, you know, fast forward. There comes this opportunity where you know our friend Sarah, uh, she had just moved to um, to Korea, and she was already working. She hadn't even been here a year, like just like half a year or so. Yeah. And uh, she was like, hey, I'm working for the celebrity chef and, you know, mm. things are, you know, happening. Why don't you come over and help me do this? Uh, uh, we're going to make videos, like food-related videos. So I came over uh, intending to be there for three months and we threw, we threw some events um, consulting for restaurants because Western food was kind of, it, it was, it was, I wouldn't say quite booming yet, Yeah, but everybody... Everybody wanted it. Every, there was a lot of interest. And, and so there was just a lot of restaurants that wanted, or a lot of people who wanted to add those things to their menus, you know? This was 2012, 13? I would say, you know, 2011. 11. Okay. 2011. Just to put in time. Okay. Yeah. And uh, so we came, and uh, I remember I was doing like a copycat of like Father's Office Burger. Oh, yeah. Shit. Yeah. yeah. LA, yeah. Uh, for, for, you know, with that, um, with that onion chutney, you know, that yeah, yeah, fruity yeah. onion, you know. It's still going strong. Oh, I, I love hearing that because it's it's a delicious place. It, you know, um, they definitely deserve a lot of props for being such an influence. You know, mm. but um, he started you know just borrowing ideas and recipes from places, and then we uh, we did this event, and I decided to smoke um, pulled pork on my roof. I didn't have a smoker. I had like a, a like a like a hibachi grill, and then I had like a like a hotel pan. 
It didn't even have a lid. This was in Korea, right? It's in Korea, and it was on my rooftop where I didn't even have, it wasn't even a proper rooftop. Like I had to crawl out of a tiny window onto like the- Like a the, jump over? Yeah, like a, like a roof. Like Parkour. There, yeah, seriously. Um, and it was like, you had to kind of crawl around the shingles onto this like level area of the roof. It wasn't meant to be stood on, but it was a level yeah, area. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I kind of piece by piece like brought things up there and, and, and I would smoke on the roof. And then- um, yeah, man, we we I brought a couple pull, you know, uh, uh, butts Boston butts uh, to to this party, and uh, the f- the feeling was electric. Like the Americans were just, oh man, like I haven't had you know, yeah, man, you know, barbecue in a while, yeah, you know, yeah, and yeah. you know because they've probably been in, in in the country for a bit, for a bit, yeah. And then uh, the Korean people, that was yeah, talk, talk, talk to yeah, talk to me about that. They were like, what kind of meat is this? And it's like, what are you talking about? It's, it's pork. It's like, wait, wait, meat, what? It, it, they didn't know if it was beef or pork. And they didn't understand, like, how'd you get it so tender? And then I'd have to explain, like, well, I cooked it for, you know, all night long. It's like, why would anybody cook it for that long? And then I'd explain, you know, well, that's the whole principle of cooking things low and slow. You know, you break down the connective tissue and it, and it just makes things very, very soft. And um, yeah, she, uh, you know, it just kind of, I just had this feeling that, you know, I think I'm going to stick around. I'm going to try to do this. But we were go- already going into the winter. I just survived doing like random gigs. And then uh, I, found a, I found a smoker that a buddy of mine just happened to have. And so he kind of, he let me, um, I worked for him for a day on a, on a set for like a commercial shoot. And, and he said, hey, I tell you what, if you... How about instead of paying you, I just gave you my smoker. I was like, deal. Hell yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, that's how it, it started. And then I was like kind of, um, uh, what do you call it? Like uh, it was just one restaurant after another. Like a friend might know a restaurant owner. It was like, hey, how would you like to have like a new menu item? That's really interesting. And so like he'd introduce me to these, these uh, restaurant owners and um, I would provide pulled pork and then the sauce. And But that was the funny thing. It was like I'd try to show them how to eat it. But... Um, it, it was a challenge. They just didn't get it. You know, they would slice it. They, they would take a pork butt and they'd slice it and they'd serve it on a on a plate with sauce on the side and it was kind of fork and knife. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. And then uh, it was like, oh God, that's, that's interesting. And then, but I, I started gaining like, I think I had about like almost like five to six restaurants like I, I was, you know, kind of supplying to. But um, one day, mm-hmm. I was reading about uh, pop-ups and and how they were becoming a thing, especially and, around that time. Yeah, especially around the time. And uh, uh, I said, "Let me see if I can try yeah. something like this." And I was going around. Uh, I found a guy who had like a uh, like a bar in my neighborhood, and uh, he agreed to let me do it. But I was I was people here would assume that you'd want to rent the place. Like, no, I don't want to rent the place. I want you to let me do it for free. However, however, I just keep the proceeds for the, from the food, but I, you know, you keep all the alcohol. Now it, it was challenging at first. They're like, I don't get it. Yeah. But, what is that? Yeah. But you know what? You make all your margins from, from the drink and the alcohol. Anyways, anyway. Yeah. Right. It's like, I'm going to bring people. They have to buy it from you. So it's a good deal. Yeah. So when I figured that out, um, I would just bring my stuff, and the first pop up, I, I sent a, uh, I sent a, an invite out. I probably only knew like fifty people in Korea. Five zero fifty. Yeah, yeah, maybe less. Yeah. And and then uh, I put it out probably like a week before the event, and every day it just kind of it just exponentially grew. And the day of, it said like eight hundred people had had RSVP. RSVP'd. And I'm like, this isn't right, you know? It must be this, like a mistake or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. 
I don't think 800 people came, but dude, they, the, it was just disorganized. It was my first, you know, my first pop up to, and uh, I was literally hauling things from my apartment to to this bar, which was down the street. And there was a line up the block. The place was packed, and then I finally get started, and and we sell out with like, I don't know, like, it, I can't remember how many covers we did. It was. It was quite a lot, and and uh, I thought we would have more than enough meat. And did you run out? Yeah, we we sold out. Uh, it was uh, definitely more than a hundred covers. And uh, yeah, it was just it was just it was just crazy. I, I remember it, it just happened so fast. And it was such a good feeling, and I wanted to do it again. You know, like just addicted. wanted to just wanted to do it again. <laughs> I was like, you know what? Screw these like restaurants. I just want to just do this. You know. And, yeah. and show them how it's really supposed to be eaten, and and you know I could put my face on it and kind of show people what's what, and that's how it started. And I ended up doing that for almost three years. Really? Just yeah. Like on and off pop ups here and there. Yeah, like at least once a month. I mean, after I do a pop, I would just be laid out because it was just so it's much. So grueling, huh? Yeah, so grueling. I was pretty much doing it by myself, but I would have my friends uh, help me on Jump the day in. of, yeah, yeah, to, yeah. you know, to the service and haul. Exactly. Yeah yeah, 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 and and kind of in the kitchen too. Sure. And uh, yeah, I did that. I would. I kept serving like this pulled pork sandwich and uh, I don't know, I started to feel like maybe it's, I need to try some other things, you know? Yeah. And so I would, uh, uh, I saved up and I would like take trips to the States and uh, that that's when things really started to ramp up. Like I, I was looking for mentors, I would reach out and I did uh, several barbecue tours, you know, just meaning to kind of drive around and sleep in my car with a gun, <laughs> you know, like, not, yeah, I, I, yeah, because I didn't have enough money for, like, uh, to stay in a hotel, like, every night, and so uh, I met a lot of cool people, and, and just doors open, like, wonderful people in the barbecue community, in the barbecue community, uh, just helped out, introduced me to other people, um, and I met uh, quite a few people who were in the competitive barbecue scene, and that's when things became even more interesting as mm. well, and so, um, I don't know. It just kind of went from there. And kind I, of just got domino effects and yeah, all, and just yeah, kind of yeah. grew into what it is now. Right, right. That's a crazy story. Hmm. Shotgun. And then, <laughs> oh wow. I mean, and so then the next thing you uh, brought back was that like the beef brisket. Is that the next thing? That's was that the next frontier for you after pulled pork? I or? tried. Bri I remember I came back. Yeah. I was like, hey guys, I'm gonna try a brisket. Oh god, it was so bad. Really? Oh, it was a bad. That, that took a lot of time to master. And even then, I don't I don't consider myself to have mastered it. I think I think uh, there I have really good days, and some days it's not up to you know not yeah, there. Yeah, but yeah. that's the hardest thing about doing a restaurant is the keeping the consistency. You know, um, and there's you would think like like random things like when in Korea, yeah, because we have such extreme uh, seasons, like everything can work from all summer to to fall, and all of a sudden one day like everything's just undercooked. You did everything the same, and then like the humidity changes or, the, or who knows the barometric, you know, pressure or something, and now you've got to like look in your look back in your data and like oh my god we got to find a new time and temperature. So are you calibrating? You're calibrating like every day then. Right? Oh, I'm really big on data, really really big on on keeping data, and, and I, I make sure all that's all, all that's like recorded. Wow, you know, I mean it's a science. Yeah, it's yeah. really a science. Yeah. And so you've been open since 20, I mean, how, when did you open your, your restaurant in Itaewon? Because that's a flagship and that was the first location, right? 2014, that was the summer of 2014. So around six years ago. Yeah, yeah. Wow. 
that's that's quite a feat, you know, in the restaurant industry to be open for that long. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. I think. I mean, maybe I don't know about Korea too much, but I know for for my buddies in New York, like, mm. I mean, if you make it past two, that's like, whoa, here we, you're actually going to see it open for a little bit, you know? And after five, it's like, all right, maybe you're sticking around, like you're going to be around mm. for a little bit. So. Mm. Six, I feel like, is definitely a, a big, a big accomplishment, you know. But especially in Korea, no, like because Korea is such a trendy place. Yeah, in Korea, it's very much so. I felt like maybe that wasn't the case. I, I know, like, the restaurant industry is tough in uh, in the states as well. But just even when you look at like commercial leases, the average at uh, the average commercial lease up until several years ago was like two years. Here, yeah, wow. Whereas it's like ten in New York, right? So, so they're already betting that you're not going to be. Yeah, it's just the way it is, you know. And and uh, and also like there's just runaway speculation with uh, you know with, in real estate here and whatnot. It's just not. Uh, and so when when restaurants are expected to only last one or two years, it even affects other industries like like uh, restaurant equipment. It's mm. really hard to get good high grade restaurant equipment here. It literally lasts for two years and then you're expected to buy it again. It's like everything's disposable. It's like an iPhone. <laughs> yeah, yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Pretty much, right? So, wow. uh, yeah. So, like, that's a little frustrating thing too. I'm sure that was a big challenge for you in the beginning. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so when you signed the lease, too, did you, was it initially like a two-year deal? I had always uh, signed for longer. I'd always like com- promote for longer because that that just wanted us to all. I mean, so it seems like you know, <laughs> you know, quite, you know, pretty well like the Korean palette. And like the current customer and what they're looking for, so did that factor into how you designed your menu, but also even the recipe testing? Yeah, um, we had to pivot really fast <clears throat> in the beginning. I mean, most barbecue restaurants where I'm from, they serve other than ribs. They serve it's it, you know everything kind of served as an individual thing. Yeah, there's not a lot of whole lot, whole lot of like like family style. Or, yeah, yeah, right? yeah, yeah. So. Um, sandwiches. Mm-hmm. It was like pulled pork sandwiches, brisket sandwiches. If you had ribs, they were, you know, <clears throat> like a sink, you know, it was kind of like not a whole lot of sharing going on. But then I realized that it just wasn't hitting in the beginning. The foreigners that knew, uh, you know, that knew me from the pop ups, they would come and they're all right. But then, like, uh, you know, the Koreans would come and they just didn't want to. It was just too foreign. Even, even, even my, like, uh, my my servers didn't know how to describe the food. Of course, because they didn't it's know. The first time they're saying this. Yeah. yeah. So um, I started. Hey, we should just give them like this combo platter. And and I noticed like you know Texans are serving everything you know in in the market, like cruise in the like cruise market or you know they serve everything on brown paper. So I started giving rather than having them choose and ask, a picture is a thousand words, man. Just like giving them a, an assortment. You know, with a brisket and the pork and like the baby back ribs, and and then let them choose a few sides, and then just let them try it, and it just can't. It just worked out so beautifully. Um, a tray would come out; it felt abundant, kind of like Korean food does. I was serving with the little mini buns, the little sliders, and so they weren't even making sandwiches; they were using like a lid, like one half of the the bread. The, the the toasted bread and they're just like stacking on top. It's kind of like an open face sandwich almost. Exactly. Yeah. So it was just so intuitive, and I was just remember first observing um, my customers, and I was just like, oh, this is gonna work out. Oh. And then uh, then like a blogger came, and um, I, I don't know who this blogger is, but it just kind of snowballed in something. And next thing I know, there were 
barbecue restaurants like all over Korea. <laughs> it's like really nuts, you know. But you were like definitely one of the first, like one of that first wave of, yeah, of, of people yeah, to do yeah. like American style barbecue. Yeah. Now I just want to, for the record, I wasn't the very first yeah, barbecue yeah, yeah. restaurant. There were people trying to do it um, before but, you, but it just didn't catch on. It was definitely more. Uh, I don't know. It just didn't catch on um, for whatever reason. Um, I, I think. Uh, yeah, I don't know what to say, but, man. But I mean, the whatever reason is actually really important. I think the whatever reason is the context. What yeah. I mean by the context is you understood that Korean customers are very different from American customers. They need a, a vi- first of all, they don't know this cuisine, so they need a visual of everything. So right. just, just to know what it looks like, first mm-hmm. of all. And the second thing I think I really appreciate, and I think why you do so well, is it's actually the, the combination platters. Uh-huh. Is because you give them the perception that there are choices, but not really. Like everything's kind of laid out for them. Yeah, and yeah. Koreans need that. They they do. They really need that. Yeah, and I don't mean that in like a in any sort of bad way. It's just that's just how Koreans are. Mm-hmm. And if they don't like something, they don't tell you. They'll like for example, if they order a burger. Mm-hmm. Here it's different. So it's, it's either set A, set B. Mm-hmm. That's it. Yeah. yeah. You want Coke? Yes or no? That's it. Yeah. yeah pretty, you know what I mean? <laughs> pretty much. Yeah. But in, in the States, your order could be like, oh, I want that with no tomatoes or no lettuce and I want extra whatever. Mm. Koreans don't have that. There's, the culture is just different. I got to admit, that's the hardest thing about American customers. They're like, can right? I customize this? I know. They want to customize like, everything. Yeah. It's like, oh, so no, you're it's probably So you probably like the fact that it's pretty laid out and, and mm. Koreans, when they order it, they'll do the due diligence of taking out like the tomato. <laughs> right, right. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah. Because they, they don't want to inconvenience. Right. The, the, the restaurant for whatever reason yeah. I, that's just something I've been noticing no it's very true it's yeah. really true so I think you caught on to that yeah. uh, and you designed experience around the fact that that's how they would interact mm. with their restaurant and I think I saw that click in people's mm-hmm. uh, faces as well when yeah. I was dining mm. they were getting it like they were I was like oh yeah they're really they got this thing on, yeah. the, on the lockdown <laughs> they got the black gloves and they're right <laughs> all I could hear around me too was like oh this is actually really good and I think you know this, I'm sure that a lot of them, it was their first time, mm. right? So talk to me about that. Like, what is it like taking the V card for from a lot of these people for, for trying the first like American barbecue? That's always like a pleasure. Right. Um, it's a challenge, kind of explained to it. I remember when we first uh, served the brisket. Wow. They'd be complaining like, "Why is it burnt on the outside?" You know, like Koreans are really uh, sensitive about like. Uh, overcooked meat mm. and blackening anything. Yeah, just to give context, like when people are having Korean barbecue, they'll take a scissor and cut off the charred sides. Yeah. Just yeah. as a context. So now you have a, a, a slice of brisket. Mm-hmm. It's charred on the outside, and then there's like a, a pink smoke ring all oh, around. God. And so they're saying, why is it burned on the outside, and why is it like undercooked on you know? Why is beneath, it raw? Yeah. yeah. Why is it raw? And then I would check. I regularly put on gloves, go to the trash, and look at what's what's mm. not been eaten, and. Wow, I'd see people like cutting the the smoke ring off. You know, that happened a lot in the beginning. That doesn't happen as much now. Why is that? I think there's enough barbecue restaurants around where it's become a staple. It's it's actually becoming a staple. Like every major city has has a barbecue restaurant in Korea now. An American barbecue restaurant. And that's uh I don't know, that that really warms me up. I think that's a great thing. Yeah. Yeah. But I'm sure that was like one of the biggest hurdles, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't think it's going to go away. Yeah. You know, I never thought I'd be here in Korea having American barbecue with a Korean American guy <laughs> shooting uh, a podcast video. But mm. No I'll- coronavirus. <laughs> right. Blessing in disguise. Right. <laughs> in many ways. Right. But um, in, all, in all seriousness, I do want to make sure I tackle uh, Itaewon. 
which is oh. where you operate. Yeah. Which, uh, I, you know, I, I want you to talk about the, the T-shirt you're wearing too, but... Oh, yeah. Um, Eaton was a very special place. I think for you, I think for me, and I think uh, for a lot of... Uh, Korean Americans, but definitely the the foreigners. Anyone that has like an international background, I feel right. like Itaewon is just a very important part of the culture here. I mean, yeah. I think a lot of ideas, whether it's like LGBT or anything very forward thinking, kind of begins there. And, it does, and, and kind of sprouts out, right? Right, right. So, um, I would love for you to talk about a why you chose to operate there, uh-huh. what it has been like operating there, and maybe leading up to um, you know COVID and, and the whole entire right, situation. Right. I think uh, having, I knew in my heart that I couldn't open anywhere else uh, first uh, other than Itaewon. It, it just had to be there. At the time, um, the, the U.S. military ba- uh, army base isn't uh, uh, centralized there anymore. It's down about an hour and a half away uh, south of Seoul now. But at the time, uh, in Yongsan, oh, goodness. If you're wondering what that is. Korea is, Korea is on top of it, guys. Yeah. That's a, that's a COVID alert. And what that does, and this happens quite frequently, a few times a day, and it tells you, um, you know, the latest news, where, where uh, the latest outbreak is, and then it, tell you to, it tells you to avoid that area, or, you know, or it might be a reminder of wear your mask or, you know, something. I think it even shows you, if you, if you click on, on it, it'll show you where this person, if this person has contracted coronavirus, mm-hmm. it tells you where this person has been, right. their itinerary. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that you can avoid these places, but also those places have to uh, mandatorily. I, I, th- I believe yeah. that's shut down, right? For like two, three. Yeah, shut down, and then they clean. They, you know, they, they get sanitize. Yeah, they sanitize exactly. Yeah. it's really important. That was very timely as we talk about it. Yeah, yeah, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. I had my phone on silent, but it you know blasts right through that. You know, so um, uh, where was that? one. Itaewon. Yeah, um, I chose it. Yeah, like it, it just—it was just a no-brainer for me. I had to go there. Um, also, like I'd been running pop-ups for a yeah. few years, yeah. And so a lot of my uh, my customers uh, and you know just the people who have been following me on social media, they were kind of around. They're used to having the pop-ups around there. So when I found a place, those first several months where it's most difficult for, for a restaurant to get their 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 customer base, I I had the luxury of like I already had that. Mm. You know, I just opened up again. Hey guys, here I am, and so got that clientele. Yeah, so I had that there, and it, and it was really nice. Uh, you know, I didn't have to struggle very hard in the in the beginning, uh, and then it was a matter of it just caught on with with you know, with the domestic population and and you know the platters and everything, and that really took off. Yeah, um, I would say um, later on, um, I don't know. I just. It, it just seemed necessary to have a foothold in in, uh, in Itaewon, and like you said, like new ideas kind of start there, and then they, they then they try to tend to kind of spread out, yeah. yeah, spread out throughout the country, and uh, um, it had a really good, uh, really amazing nightlife. It had a really, uh, it had a little everything like a a little Nigeria and, and like a like a Muslim population near the mosque. Turkey. There's yeah, every. every Country is almost like represented, you know, somewhere within Itaewon, and uh, and I just noticed like in a new Ethiopian restaurant just opened up, um, which is great to see. Um, but and I think over the years in the beginning it, it just became such an attraction because of that diversity. Um, but it became like a double-edged sword mm. because in these times mm. when you have the economy um, so depressed and you have everyone's health. Mm. Uh, as a as a risk, a big scare. Um, 
it's really, I think it's almost, uh, it, it's easy to play with human instinct to kind of want to scapegoat somebody and blame foreigners, you know, for, you know, for these type of things. And uh, yeah, it was, uh, it was really tragic because uh, I would say uh, when Corona uh, first broke out, it kind of uh, became a, the first super spreader, as you will, happened in Daegu, which is like the third largest city of, of, uh, in, in Korea. And um, everyone just avoided Daegu. It was kind of on lockdown. It yeah. spread because of this, this church, Church, right? right, yeah. Yeah, and even then, those, you know, everyone kept talking about that church like it was a cult and definitely demonizing them, whatever. Uh, but then, uh, you know, we got it under control and then, uh, you know, through the winter and uh, our infection numbers got almost down to zero. It actually, they got down to zero for several days and it just so happened to be right, leading right up into uh, three major holidays, Children's Day, Parents' Day, and, and Buddha's birthday in the spring, right? And it was coming right out of April into May. And it was like a five-day plus red day weekend, meaning like there's a lot of offices that close and they don't, yeah. you know, they don't open. So there's a lot of people who just aren't working. The weather was amazing that time. The parks were open. They were jam-packed. The restaurants, like there, yes, people were, wearing their masks, but they were just coming out in force. And uh, the restaurants, you know, everybody had suffered a, a little bit of, uh, you know, sales loss and everything. So they were really like excited, excited. to start. But I was really wary. I, I was really so you scared. Were, you were a little cautious. Yeah, I was double downing on the spraying of hands and the masks and, and taking the temperatures. They weren't even requiring people but to take temperatures. I was doing that. And then uh, during that weekend, what ended up happening was... Uh, could have happened anywhere, man. Sure. But like a uh, uh, a man from Yongin, which is a suburb south of uh, of Seoul, a Korean, right? A Korean, not even a foreigner. A no, Korean. no. But but the big kicker was uh, uh, an outbreak happened, uh, you know, uh, in Itaewon, where this Yongin man came, and it happened to be a gay club, a gay bar. Yeah, and uh, of course the media had just went. It was just open. Ballistic. It was open season on gay people and uh, and uh, foreigners and you know foreigners were, like were weren't even allowed. Corporations weren't were um, forbidding them to go to anywhere near Ituan or else they you know get fired. It was a fireable offense, and uh, so yeah, it was just we were the redheaded stepchild. Nobody wanted to come to to Itaewon, and, yeah. and it was just horrible. Yeah. We're still kind of uh, dealing with it. To be honest. We're actually still dealing with it, yeah. Um, hasn't been the same since, and uh, I don't think it's going to be very sustainable for any of the any of the, the restaurants in the area. Although it's getting better. It's on an upward trend. Um, things are on an upward trend, but um, they got to trend up faster. I mean, it's not what it used to be at all. No. And no. after I dined at your restaurant and I was walking more onto the main, you know, main road, main street, whatever you want to call it, I was walking towards the Hamilton Hotel. I uh, I went to high school in uh, Yongsan mm-hmm. International School, which is uh, just like the next subway stop over at Hanganjinyo. Um, so I, I've been down that road many times, mm-hmm. you know, as a teenager, and I remember vividly just like always packed, always restaurants, bars, packed, yeah. great energy, vibrant. Oh, yeah. Everyone's super young. Like it was it was a great place to be, right? Right. A lot of soju bombs there. <laughs> right. But wow, like that day, 
I, I just I just couldn't believe it because mm. it was just empty. Yeah. Empty. The guy who like the 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 I believe they're from Turkey, like the, the ice cream guys and the kebab places, that's always just packed mm-hmm. to the walls. Like they were actually telling people, I I remember this in Korean, oh please come inside. Mm-hmm. In Korean. Like Chebai Wajus here. No. And that that really hit me. Really? Because when I went to school, this was around the time you went you came to Korea as well. Mm. I, I don't remember that being kind of a thing. Like he, he was really popular, this guy. Wow. And I think people are just so fascinated. Oh wow, this is so different. This is cool, you know. Mm-hmm. And he was always busy. Mm. But to see the same guy, mm-hmm. it's the same exact guy. That wow. I, he's been there for for seven, eight years. To to be in a, in a in a state of like despair and almost like begging, you know, wow. asking for for for, for customers. Mm-hmm. That really, uh, I realized then that this was that this was a, there was something definitely going on. Wow. And I think I felt very compelled at that point to share your story because I mm-hmm. think. Um, I, I, I felt that you are a really good face for the for the community, especially in, in the operators there, because mm-hmm. you are such a firm believer in that neighborhood, and you've done a lot for for the community too. Um, but for me personally, I just uh, that's just strong accord because I've been in Korea for a little bit. I've been around different areas, mm. and I think we talked about this. Other places are seemingly fine. That's what I, that's what's crazy. Yeah, it's like I, I, just so you guys are aware, it just seems like business is. As business as usual. It's business as usual. Everywhere, else. everywhere in Korea, except for Itaewon. That's just crazy. And it's actually uh, even after uh, that second wave happened, it, everyone avoided that. They they were packing, uh, you know, the, like places like Songsu or Gangnam, you know, or Hong uh, Hongdae got a little bit of you know uh, blowback as well. Yeah, but it's uh, no people aren't really distancing. They're they're still you know and. Uh, Neighborhoods are still packed, and they're still kind of out and doing whatever they need to do. And um, but Itaewon is definitely being singled out, and it is because of this very unfair narrative of this unclean foreigner or unclean other people, um, whether they be uh, a certain lifestyle or um, you know subgroup of you know yeah yeah. Um, and, and I just want to make sure I gave you the, the time to talk about this too, because a lot of the, the audience and listeners, you know, they're, they're falling in from New York or, or probably the U.S. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I know you're wearing this T-shirt. So uh, for people that are kind of connecting with our story about Itaewon, what can they they do to help to support you know your your community? Um, I get that question asked a lot, especially people in the international community. Um, I hope it doesn't get to a point where we got. <laughs> We have to do like a GoFundMe or something yeah, like for that. like the whole city, yeah. For crying out loud, like yeah. I, I really hope not. I hope this trend uh, picks up and we're you know we recover. However, um, if you know people in Korea, if you have family in Korea, if you have uh, you know friends that you're close to, um, and uh, you might want to bring up Itaewon, and uh, most likely they'll probably resist they'll probably say like oh no 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 that's that's where everything's happening you yeah. know that that's where but it's not it's not the truth it's 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 a it's a false narrative um it's going to be difficult for me to say this but i mean it just so happened around that time of the second wave we used to have something called a corona map mm. and um it was very detailed it it was uh whenever uh, a new outbreak happened it would show up as a red dot Within the first 24 hours, you know, of of, of an infection, and then after that, uh, you know, went by, it would be like 48 hours, and then it would be like four to nine days, 
And so you would see a lot of red dots, yellow dots, and, and you would know where to avoid and where things were, outbreaks were happening. But they conveniently, I, again, I don't know, it, it sounds very conspiracy-like, but there's outbreaks happening all over the place in Gangnam, in Yoido, and, and they're actually much worse than what happened in Itaewon. And, and what's happening is uh, that they stopped putting those pins hmm. on, on uh, you know, in, in the corona map. They're only showing uh, infections that have dissipated after like nine days. And uh, I think it's because they know how much of an impact it's making to the economy and the and local business, you know, yeah. to each of these places. But they're allowing this narrative of, of Itaewon to kind of still perpetuate. And continue on. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, because like if it if it if it shows up after nine, like that should have not been the case, right? It should right. have been like the first day or the day after. Right. But they waited, they waited, waited for it to dissipate, and then they put it on the on the right. for these other neighborhoods. Right. Convenient. Yeah. Yeah, it's for these communities. It's pretty. It's pretty tricky. Yeah. So um, I, I I took a visit down to Busan recently to you know for work. Yeah. And then I told them, you know, we're from Ituan, and they were like kind of jokingly. Uh, like oh my god, like covering their face. Yo, and I like, get that when I say I'm from New York. <laughs> like oh my god, stay away, dude. Did you, did you quarantine? Like, you know, yeah, so I get that. But I know deep down they actually are scared. Yeah, I know they, they say are. these things, but they actually do mean that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and it, again, it's it's deeply ingrained. This narrative is deeply ingrained. It, it is xenophobia. It is homophobia. It yeah. is you know, punks and skaters and yeah. you know all the weird people. I think I just wanted you to share that experience because New York, where I'm from, is going through the same experience now where people see uh, like, like a sliver, a sliver of what, a, what, what life used to be. Yeah. And what I mean by that is it's been opening in different phases. Indoor dining. So outdoor dining has been open since um, like the first week of July. And then uh, the second or third week of July, we were supposed to do indoor dining. Mm. But the city has indefinitely put a pause on it. Mm. We have no idea. We have no idea. I currently work for a restaurant in New York. We have no idea when we're when we can reopen for indoor dining. Oh my god! It's just absolutely no clue. Everyone's just kind of in the blind right. Now. And how big is a sidewalk? Like, how many tables can you possibly put out I mean, there? That's that's the thing. You know, yeah. if you've been to New York, like, <clears throat> it's it's really not that much. And from what I've seen from the operators I've been speaking to, it's it's really nothing. The amount of money that they're even making from 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 yeah. this outdoor dining thing, yeah, it's like a a penny a dime in, in, in what they used to do. So, wow. I mean, anywhere from like five six tables or at maximum maybe like ten. But wow. it's also like the turn time. Uh -huh. Let's say it's beautiful outside, it's nice outside. Yeah. Are people really going to be in a rush to like eat and get up and leave? Right. No, like they're probably going to linger. Right. And then the the second thing is, uh, we talked about the Amber Alert kind of situation here and how. It, Seoul has a really good communication line open, right? For for the most part, right? But in the U.S., it's like you don't even know who has it, right? You know what I mean? Like it's not uh, mandatory for you to do to, to the testing. Because when I came in here, as soon as I landed at the airport, which you know was a rigorous process, talked to ten different people. Mm -hmm. Where are you from? Uh, where are you staying? Gave me your contact, the person you're staying with. Yeah. Uh, what's your temperature? You have any symptoms? Like. Ten different like checkpoints before I, I could even leave the airport. So as I left, I went straight to like the regional office where they conduct free, free mm -hmm. coronavirus testing. Came back, the result came back in a day. Mm -hmm. I mean that's that's just the difference. Yeah, I think New York City right now. Uh, first of all, if I flew in like tomorrow, mm -hmm. I don't have to get tested. Wow. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Don't have to get tested. I don't have to quarantine. Mm -hmm. Right now they're making 
people coming in from other states like Florida, which has had this you know second wave, they have to mandatorily quarantine. I I don't have to technically, mm-hmm. and a lot of places are exempt from this rule as well. Depending on the state. Yeah, and and how they're handled, but it's just a whole it's just a whole backwards mess because there's no contact tracing in place, and the results take one week. Jeez, so much can happen in one week. That's what so I'm much saying. can happen twenty. So hours. I could be, you know, asymptomatic. Mm-hmm. I could be like an asymptomatic carrier. Mm-hmm. I get tested, let's say, for a week. I don't really know. I mean, hopefully, I'm like conscious enough to like stay inside. But let's be let's be honest. Like that's probably not the case. So I go to like a few bars, restaurants, and then next week I find out that I, you know, positive. What's gonna happen next? Yeah, it, it, probably nothing. Wow. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. maybe I'll go to the hospital and and, and quarantine, but. What about those other people? How are they going to know if, if they were in contact with me? Yeah. Whereas in Korea, like we just mentioned, it's just so kind of detailed. Yeah. You know, and they offer rapid, free testing widely everywhere. I have to mention something about what happened with the uh, Itaewon back then. Yeah, 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 yeah. Please. Um, a little tricky. I, I think we made a lot of social progress with, uh, you know, in gay and lesbian rights, or at least awareness yeah. in this country. But it was a really tricky situation because that might be Seoul or Itaewon where people are a little bit more liberal. But say somebody who's come from comes from the suburbs and they've got it, and they're telling people to kind of turn themselves in voluntarily, but that would mean that they would be outed, uh-huh. right? Uh-huh. That that was a really tricky situation. It got to the point where the government said they were going to give a penalty, like a monetary penalty, for not, you know, coming up to get, you know, get tested. But then uh, eventually, because but that only makes people crawl into their holes, you know, harder. You know, only makes them more entrenched because they're afraid of the the backlash, right? Um, so then, they Seoul government did a really smart thing where they allowed anonymous testing. Um, I think I'm not quite sure how they put it, but but you you know it would uh, it wouldn't get back to their you know the, their workplace or whatever. Right, but, right, 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 right. But uh, so they, only you would know about it. Yeah, yeah. So that tells me like. Uh, where Korea is at in terms of where they're, you know, where their head at, heads at, you know, socially and when social issues like that, you know, uh, it's getting better, but man, it's not quite there. Yeah, yeah, especially yeah. especially for for you know for for your neighborhood, and yeah, that yeah. community. Yeah, oh, man. I mean, as an operator, what, what is what is what can you do right now? Like, what are you doing to? Try to combat the stereotypes, and how are you, how are you getting on? Like, what does your even day to day look like? Oh my god, it's kind of crazy. It's, right it's now. Uh, putting out a lot of fires. It's dealing with uh, mostly labor issues and yeah. that type of thing. It, it's you know you would think that there was like programs that kind of assist businesses and in you know like uh, I don't know some kind of relief, but there really wasn't. You know, it, when it came to uh, when it came to uh, rent relief, there wasn't more than you know like. Out of nothing more than just patriotism, oh. you know, they would say, "Hey, give, give your tenants a break to the landlords," you know, but it wasn't mandatory. Uh, some of my landlords gave me a little bit of break. Some some didn't, um, but there's really nothing in it for them. And the government really has to. I think they really had to support that. But now in this case, um, with the second wave, everybody else is just fine and dandy, and Ethiopia being singled out like there's just. There's not enough support. 
Yeah. There's not enough government support. I wish, you know. You can't be, you know. It's, and for the record, government did a great job managing corona. Right. You know, <laughs> I mean, it's world-class everything, yeah. but internally after. But there was internally. Yeah. Um, there just needs to be more relief in terms of labor issues. Labor laws are really pro-worker uh, here, which is great. But in, it's just unprecedented what's happening right now in, in the states where you can just kind of temporarily lay people off mm. and give them unemployment. Like and they can kind of, and they can, but here it's, oh, it, that's that's, not a thing. it's not a thing. It, it, you, you have to hold on to people. Now I, I've heard of people kind of laying people off, but um, it's really hard to do. And not, it's not something that I want to do. It's just that there has to be more options or more relief or something that's a little bit more, um, something more robust, something more flexible to this specific situation. And it, that's what's making it really hard for people. Yeah. Really, really hard for people. And, and as we kind of come to an end, are you, I mean, Itaewon is a, is a neighbor that, that you love and, and, and you identify with, but are you considering moving that concept? Because, I mean, that could fix a lot of your problems, right? People could might think, hey, yeah. Linus, like, hey, bro, like, go somewhere yeah. else. Go to Seoul Forest. Go to, yeah. you know, Kangna. I, I'm definitely considering um, other options in, in terms of, like, expansion. Um, whether it seems to, I don't know, it remains to be seen, like, I can only hold on for so long, Right. Um, if it gets to a point where oh, it's so hard to talk about, man, but I, I just wonder if I have to move it somewhere else. Um, not saying it; it would necessarily just I would abandon Itaewon, but I could always come back. Mm. But it just doesn't seem like a very sustainable place if things keep going as as they are. Yeah, yeah. I just feel like you, you just yeah. won't have really a choice anymore. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, hopefully it, that's not the case, but yeah, I, I, it's just so much that we could do. There's only so much we could do. Mm -hmm. you know? And I'm telling you, it's it's very unique to Itaewon. one. You could go half a kilometer down the road, and it's fine. I like Hanamdong. Hanamdong, Hangangjin, totally fine. You go other parts of Yongsan, down near like Yongsan Station, it's booming there. <laughs> it's like a mile down the road, mile in any direction. It's like totally fine, you know. It's uh, it's bizarre. It's bizarre. Itaewon, yeah. It we need. It needs some love. It needs a lot of love right now. Yeah, yeah for sure. All all the. I'm not talking about myself. I'm talking about like all the businesses around Itaewon. We really need. We really need some support, and love yeah. for people. And I'm sure you've seen some of your favorite stores close down too, right? Yeah. Inevitably. Yeah. Yes. It's it's been happening. It's been happening. Well, you know the the food was great. I Thanks. hope that uh, people get a chance to come visit your restaurant. I also, for the record, if you need to uh, come to Korea and quarantine for two weeks, these are worth it. <laughs> your experience in Korea is worth it. That two weeks is worth coming to Korea for. Uh, I can personally attest. So I hope you guys give Linus a try. And obviously oh, I'll, I'll, thanks, man. I'll share your social social media stuff too, just so people can follow you and all that. But I think that um, uh, you've done just a terrific job here representing, you know, the food you honestly grew up with. Yeah. You know, it's kind of a full, for, for me, I feel like it's a full circle moment, you know, yeah. kind of coming back yeah. to the motherland and bringing something you can uh, identify with. So this has been just an amazing time and I appreciate you taking me out and uh, Bobby again for, for helping set this up and Sarah for connecting us. And, um, hey, Bobby. Uh, hey, yeah, Sarah. man. <laughs> but it's, it's, a, it's an amazing community, this, this Korean American community as well. So, mm -hmm. uh, Appreciate you and, and thanks again for, for, for your time, man. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Of course. Loved it. Huge thank you to Linus for 
your time. And this was honestly, I, I think I alluded earlier in this episode, it was put together fairly last minute. So again, thank you so much for making this happen. Um, I think this is easily the longest episode I've done on this podcast. So if you have stuck it all the way through till this point, till the end, I appreciate you. Um, it was hard, honestly, to cut anything out. There were a few things in the beginning and towards the back that I did, but for the most part, I, I, I kept everything because it just felt right. Um, I, I didn't want to make the episode for the sake of making it 30 minutes. So um, that's kind of the reasoning there. Also, like this is a, this was done through video, so there's going to be an unextended video portion as well that I'll probably put on YouTube at, at some point. So um, in any case, I hope you, if you're listening in, uh, that you're following us on Instagram at with warm welcome, just to keep updated and, and in the know as we continue to put out new episodes every Wednesday. Um, they're going to look a little bit different and feel a little bit different. Um, and Linus, you can follow him on Instagram as well. So that's at Linus Kim X at the end. And his restaurant Instagram is Linus BBQ on Instagram. So again, thank you for tuning in. Um, this has been Arnold and Linus with one welcome and we'll see you next week. <laughs>